Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Of course, the Colts will be staying home. It's a staycation for them, but we're going to take the road trip. Pack them in the car right now. I'm going to take some chili cheese Fritos. Eddie, what are you getting? I'll probably get some of the munchies that have the pretzels. Oh, and I know. The, you had the munchies since you yep, went to Colorado, right? Yep, totally. Okay, Jimmy, what are you taking? Give me the barbecue twist Fritos. All right, barbecue oh, those twist are good. Fritos. Not bad. I'll have to bring some Altoids for all of us after the fact. <laughs> uh, but in our road trip and heading down to Nashville right now to talk to the guy who is, of course, as I had mentioned, a legend at Cathedral High School in Ball State before his fine NFL career that spent the majority of that with the Houston Oilers, the Tennessee Oilers, all that means the Tennessee Titans, including Super Bowl Thirty Four. Blaine Bishop joins us now, who does radio for the Titans in Nashville. Blaine, first off, thanks for your time. Welcome home, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it, man. I appreciate it, man, being on in my hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana, man. It's a joy. A lot of friends and family there, I'm sure, are tuning in. <laughs> all right, so who's the first person you want to say hi to? Oh, man. Well, I mean, there's a laundry list of people there, but uh, naturally, I got to say, I don't want to say all names, but all my family that lived there, uh, you know, throughout all my aunts and uncles and everybody else. So, yeah, not just picking one. That means I have a favorite, so I can't do that. So I'm going to say hi to all the Bishop crew there, as well as uh, Indianapolis and uh, Cathedral and Ball State. I will allow you to say hi to any Cathedral Fighting Irish member except for Noble Duke because he absolutely carved up North Central in basketball and he was like 5'8 and it still angers me. <laughs> Noble Duke may be the best athlete at that height I've ever witnessed. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I mean, the dude ran circles around Eric Montross and he's 5'8, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, he probably put up 30, but uh, he, started, <laughs> he, he started as a freshman on, on varsity as a football player and wide receiver. And, man, I, I'm going to say this. I don't know. I probably faced some guys just as talented as him. And uh, if he would have stuck with it, he, he would have been a heck of a, a NFL wide receiver, man. He was He was phenomenal. Well, I'll tell you what, Blaine, uh, to transition to the NFL, obviously, and the reason we have you here to talk about the Tennessee Titans, because you and I, I could talk Cathedral and North Central stuff with you until the cows come home, but uh, this is an intriguing matchup to me, and I'll tell you why, and I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. At the beginning of the year, I felt like the Titans perhaps were a franchise, not unlike Indianapolis, that was trying to kind of reinvent itself, but because of aging position players, they potentially were going to regress. And yet it looks like they're coming in, maybe putting things together more than I thought, and they're not ready to throw in the towel. Uh, did, was this like a, a one-game anomaly, or did Mike Brable kind of reawaken some things here? Well, uh, I think from Brable's perspective, I think he thought coming into the season they were retooling, and that's why they kept Tannehill and King Henry – uh, and Bayer and those guys because he felt like uh, he still can be competitive with those guys even as though they're aging or in their contracts are coming to an end. Uh, so they thought they would put some pieces around them that can continue the winning ways and, and maybe uh, still have a shot of winning the AFC South. I think that was his approach. Uh, but I'm not sure that that's going to, you know, actually work. We shall see. Everybody's in the middle of the road now, but uh, I think it's a week-to-week league now and whoever you have healthy not depending on how young you are as far as your talented positions and quarterback position, I think it's up for grabs. Are the Titans still essentially Blaine Bishop? Um, And I know that he got off to kind of a slow start, but I just think the world of his talent and his ability to carry a game, are they still essentially defined by and running behind which Derrick Henry is going to, you know, whether or not Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry? Is that their identity still? I think that was a big question early in the season, and we're still in the, you know, we just passed the first quarter. But it's hard to say because the offense is evolving under Tim Kelly, who's the new OC. And I think they're trying to now use Henry when needed to close out games and, uh, you know, a physical game that's a close, tight game. But if it's a wide open game, I think they have the flexibility now to open it up and throw it around the yard, I would call. Uh, so I think they're kind of in, uh, you know, a, a position where they're in the middle 
and he still can impact games for sure, and I think they still want that to be the identity and the way they want games to go, but they're not backed into a corner to be like, that's all we are. Uh, so they're going to be a physical, dominating run offense, but I think they throw it. They try to be 50-50 now for sure. Blaine Blishop is our guest. Nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. Blaine, I asked this nationally, and I want to get the question and answer from you locally as well, covering the Titans. For you, did you learn more about where the Tennessee Titans can be and are going this year after the win over Cincinnati? Or did you learn more about where Cincinnati might be going as a franchise as Joe Burrow continues to battle his injury? That's a great question because I think the fan base will say, oh, no, we're going in this direction, which is in a positive direction. I don't think the Bengals with Burrow having limitations uh, with the calf injury really could display. I mean, he didn't really throw the ball down the field vertically very much at all. Uh, and the Titans, you got to give credit, they got after him, but had a great game plan. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if we really know what the Tennessee Titans are right now. I think it's going to still take a couple games. I think we'll find out this game, the Ravens game, which is in London, and then they have a bye. And then I think that'll tell us what this team really is at that point. Uh, so I think this is a signature game uh, for the Titans uh, versus an AFC uh, South opponent. Blaine, if you were still at Cathedral High School and you had to give a 60-minute symposium on defining who a team is, and your choices were you had to speak for 60 minutes on who the Tennessee Titans are or 60 minutes on who the Indianapolis Colts are. Which one's the harder assignment right now? Ooh. Well, I haven't covered the Colts as much as you guys have. Uh, so naturally, I, I think, man, forming the identity of what the Colts are, I, I would say, Man, it's yet to be determined with this quarterback they have, Richardson, who was my number one quarterback on my board when I did my scouting report. And if the Titans were going to go after a quarterback, that was the one I wanted. And, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, he only started so many games and everything else. Not only his ability, but also what's in between his eyeballs. And that is his intelligence of the game and his commitment to the game. And it, to me, that determines how well you will be in this league, not just on your talents. We've seen talented players fail all over the place. But if they are serious about their craft and have a knowledge and understanding of what they're trying to do, I think uh, it can be something special. So identity of the Colts are, I would say, where Richardson goes and how fast he goes and gets there will determine how well the Colts are. I think the uh, the Titans is more based around their offensive line, which is up and down like a roller coaster, which makes everything really the unknown. So I, I think it's built around the Titans' offensive line and their success or not. And this might be the same answer, Blaine. Blaine Bishop is our guest on the hotline. So uh, aside from offensive line, let's say, if I took that one out, give me an area of the Tennessee Titans – that Mike Vrabel, when he lays down tonight, is going to think to himself, I really hope the Colts have not figured out that we are softer or more vulnerable in that area than they may realize. That kind of hidden area of vulnerability of the Tennessee Titans is where? Well, I would say it would be the cornerbacks and, and giving up explosive plays. This last game, they didn't give up any against Chase and, and crew. Higgins got injured. Uh, but before that, there were four or five plays a game in the first three games that they gave explosive plays. It was like, man, how are we going to win any games if the corners keep giving up explosive plays like this? I mean, I know the position's really hard athletically, the hardest in the NFL, uh, but I, I would say that, the explosive plays by the cornerbacks. In terms of Anthony Richardson, Blaine, I'm going to bring up a comparison of a guy that you knew well. You probably know where I'm going with this. And I want to be clear here. I'm not saying it, you know, they're 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 big, durable guys that could run. And I'm talking about Steve McNair, who I thought was obviously a fine player. I mean, an MVP level player for the Titans, but it took a while, right? I mean, in the early year or years of McNair, it was, man, I mean, I know this guy can make plays and has the potential, but it seemed like he was pretty committed to it. Is there any comparison at all uh, in terms of a forecast of what Richardson could become by looking at the career of Steve McNair? Whoa, man, you know, the late great McNair, 
Well, I, I don't know the dynamics of uh, Richardson as far as his toughness. I think that's where I put McNair on a whole other plane. He, he played through some things that, man, I, very questionable for me. Uh, I thought it took him longer. People forget, you know, he he was actually originally an oiler, and it took him longer to get on the field like three years than expected. So Richardson, a different era, different time with all the 7-on-7 quarterbacks being developed and they play sooner than later. Different deal. I would say uh, Richardson's ceiling is probably a little bit higher uh, than McNair. He may not have gotten the hype that McNair uh, got when he came out with being Air McNair and, you know, Sports Illustrated covers and all those things. Uh, but just his running ability, McNair wasn't a 4-4 guy. He was a big old country strong guy uh, who could, you know, play running back if he needed to. Uh, Richardson can do the same, but I think he's a little more talented in uh, his, uh, his arm. I would say he's he's a little more gifted. In terms of the quarterback position of the Tennessee Titans, let's just say for the sake of argument, Blaine, I mean, you never wish this on a player, but if Ryan Tannehill in a game was not able to go, is definitively now Willis the guy they turn to or is Will Levis kind of waiting in the wings? Which one ultimately do you think becomes the heir apparent? Well, as of today, the heir apparent, I, I think it's going to be Will Levis. But he got injured in preseason, couldn't finish. So he really hasn't even dressed for games, but here or there early on right now because I, I don't know if he's fully healthy or not. It was something with a quad or, I don't know, hamstring or something. So right now, I would say Willis developed this offseason and coming into preseason – much better. He was a better player and a better quarterback. Last year, I couldn't determine even if he was an NFL backup. Now, this year in preseason and offseason going to their practice, he's definitely proven to me that he is a backup in this league. Last year, no. So I think the plan is for Will Levis to be the heir apparent, but Will Levis hasn't even beat out uh, Malik Willis yet. Blaine Bishop is our guest of the Titans Radio Network. Nice enough to take a few minutes with us here on Aquarian Company. Blaine, for the second time in the last three years in an offseason, the Titans decided to go to the veteran wide receiver route. A couple years ago, it was Julio Jones. This time, it's DeAndre Hopkins. From afar, we've been critical of Ryan Tannehill. There's a clear ceiling of what he can do as a quarterback, but also they're asking a lot out of veteran wideouts to get back to wide receiver one caliber. Hopkins is leading the team in receiving yards this year. No, he doesn't have a touchdown reception just yet. From your observation, what DeAndre Hopkins have the Titans had this year? Is it a back end, but still wide receiver one caliber weapon? Or has he been closer to where Julio Jones finished things out with Tennessee? Uh, well, I could say this, as far as my analogy of when I'm going after a better receiver on last or two years ago with with Julio Jones, I, I was not a big fan of that one because his game is built on athleticism. And as you age, your athleticism loses, and then you start having breakdowns and, you know, muscular issues uh, as far as hamstring, calves, and everything else. Uh, so I wasn't a big fan of that, and I, w- I was very vocal about that. But the D hop, I am because his game translates even as you get older. He is a possession receiver who can also beat you deep, who runs great routes and has fantastic hands. So that translates to longer longevity in the National Football League as a player. So I thought this move was uh, much more, uh, I, I guess, I agreed with it much more than the Julio Jones uh, deal. So, yeah, I think he's done everything that they expected out of him. Have the, no early, re- have the early returns on him been satisfactory to that point with what Coach Vrabel wants out of this Titans offense? I would I would agree, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. It ha- absolutely. Blaine, I realize that you aren't specifically involved in this particular situation I'm just going to bring up, but I want kind of the NFL player perspective, okay? Uh, you played in the league. You played for two different franchises, but you know the majority of them obviously with the Oilers slash Titans. But the Colts situation with Jonathan Taylor, I mean, as you know, Jonathan Taylor wanted an extension, didn't get it, missed camp due to a and I'm doing air quotes, ankle injury that, that hung over from last year. Now he's off pup, and he is coming back into the locker room. Hey, guys, here I am. Zach Moss has played well for them, quite frankly. Did you ever have a situation w- like that with a teammate 
that went through a contractual situation where they missed kind of the dog days of camp and they weren't going through the things that you were, and then suddenly they show up in the locker room, can it be a distraction? What is the locker room mentality when a player comes back from that? Well, I think uh, contractual issues with every individual players, I think, in the National Football League and probably in most sports is a separate entity of everything else. So if a guy holds out or, you know, doesn't uh, show up when camp is and and comes at the end, I think that's on a personal issue that you don't hold against a player. That's just my take. And now I'm taking that from my own personal experience. I was franchise tagged when we moved to Tennessee. I did not show up until three days before the first game of the season. And when I finished and getting getting a contract solidified. Uh, So I don't know all the particulars of all the things that went involved and if he was injured, how long he was injured and all those things. And uh, you just see what you read in the paper and half of that stuff, you know, you you probably say is somewhat true and then some of it is not. Uh, So I I would say players let other players deal with their personal. It's no different than an off-the-field issue. Uh, and a contract is an off-the-field issue, and if he doesn't feel like he's getting what he deserves, that's on him. I think the players welcome uh, you back into the locker room as quickly as possible as soon as you're back on the football field, and he shows that I'm Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> How long does it take to get back into like playing shape? I mean, I say playing shape. I don't even mean necessarily physically, Blaine, but just – does even somebody as great as Jonathan Taylor and with the vision of Jonathan Taylor and the speed of Jonathan Taylor, when you haven't been out in game or practice action for that long, how long does it take for your brain to catch back up to all that is involved in the process and everything that goes into it? Uh, I think that's all individually for each player, but running backs typically can transition sooner than later. And when I say that, it means if they put him back out there, if he's in decent shape, he can get used to you got to worry about ball security when you're running back and you haven't been getting hit. You can be in shape all you want to, but until you start getting that contact and start having that reaction time or making cuts and, and it's just like second nature, I think it probably could take him a quarter or two and then he'll be back to Jonathan Taylor, I, I, the running back position. Now, if it was a quarterback, a little different deal. Running back, I think he can adjust pretty quickly. When teams are scouting the Tennessee Titans, Blaine Bishop is our guest. When teams are scouting the Tennessee Titans, the hope for years has been you can't stop Derrick Henry. You can only hope to contain him like any great player before him. That's been the mantra. If the Colts were able to contain Derrick Henry to some extent, where's the other area that opposing scouts should be fearful of the Tennessee Titans, or or is there one? Mm. Well, I would say uh, D-Hop. Uh, he's definitely been a factor in every game, especially moving the chains. Uh, I think half of his catches are for first downs, uh, and he's a problem on the fade route because of his length uh, and his timing. Uh, so I, I would say D-Hop. Other than that, there's nobody who stepped in the forefront. Burks, the first-round receiver, is nicked up again, so he's probably uh, a questionable going into the game. Uh no, no tight end has stepped up out of the way. I thought Chig Conquo would be a little bit more involved in the offense so far. It seems like he's just starting to get revved up a little bit uh, because of his pass-catching ability. Um, but other than that, and, and Ty J. Spears, I, I think he's an explosive player, which they haven't had in, that he can get to top speed in a one step, uh, which is kind of interesting. So I, I want to see him more impactful in the passing game, not just in the running game. I'm interested to see if they continue to grow his role in the offense. Blaine, last question for me is this. Let's say it's the bye week. I think Tennessee's bye week, if I'm not mistaken, is in two weeks. You said you got the Colts, obviously, here, then Baltimore. So you get to come back. You get to do the game here. But then on the bye week, you're like, I'm going to go back home to Indy and spend like three, four days, right? Where's the first place that you're going to dinner? Oh, oh, my. Uh, Is he's downtown? Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Do you get the shrimp cocktail sauce, though? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) No, the best part is you have somebody with you who's never had the shrimp cocktail sauce. You don't tell them about it, and then you watch them eat the shrimp cocktail sauce, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to see it burn. (laughs) (laughs) It does do that. It does do that. Um, Again... 
going to be the Colts and the Titans coming up at Lucas Oil Stadium. That's Sunday, 1 o'clock. Blaine Bishop will be on the call for the Titans side of things and, of course, the pride of Indianapolis. I guess i got to leave you by simply saying chirp, chirp, right? Chirp, chirp, ball say, let's get it done, man. We ain't a Deborah Downer right now. we got to get it right. I know. Well, <laughs> they need you to go up there and fire them up when you're in town. Drive up the Muncie, do a quick fire up, and then head down to the game. But certainly enjoy your time in central Indiana, Blaine. Appreciate you guys having me on, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Blame Bishop on the hotline for our Thursday road trip. Matt Taylor is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Joins us now on the program. Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna make things real easy on you. You ready? What's up? Well, obviously you know the big story today, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm assuming that you are anticipating that immediately I'm going to start asking you questions about the star <laughs> running back of the Colts kind of ending his, not holdout, but, you know, speaking for the first time and deciphering what he had to say and breaking it down and talking about how the locker room is going to be affected and when we're going to see him and Zach Moss played well, all those things. And, and trust me, I will. But first, I'm going to do this. Um, <laughs> tell me a storyline or something that has taken place this week for the Colts that has been overshadowed by Jonathan Taylor that is something that actually is maybe even pointing in the right direction for the Colts but we haven't talked about it as much because we've been so focused on Taylor hmm, good question and I, and I, do, appreciate, I do appreciate that I know we have to double back but um, no I mean I just think it's a, it's, it's a monster game and it's also I, I'm calling this game, a, you know, an identity game for the Colts. It's um, it's a it's a it's a game five game where you're playing your, you know, your third AFC South game of the season. Tennessee kind of represents this roadblock, you know, this mental uh, hurdle, if you will, that the Colts just haven't been able to jump over. You know, they they've been swept by Tennessee each of the last two years. Uh, five straight wins for the Titans over the Colts. That's their longest winning streak over Indianapolis uh, in the history of the franchise. And that includes Titans history. That includes, you know, Houston Oiler history. Um, so I just think this is a monster game just in terms of identity because, you know, Houston or excuse me, Tennessee wants to grind you down. It's going to be maybe one of the most physical games of the year. Uh, they're a fourth quarter team. You know, they want to run the ball and pound you, control the line of scrimmage with Derrick Henry. Now, I've been saying it all week, you know, can the Colts, can they out-tighten the Titans? And that's just been, you know, troublesome for, you know, this franchise in, in this series the last couple of years. You know, Colts haven't won since uh, 2020 uh, down in Tennessee in this series. And, you know, something that's kind of deceptive going into this game is, excuse me, you're going to be without, you know, one of your top cornerbacks in Dallas Flowers for the remainder of the year. You might be without Quiddy Pay, one of your top defensive ends uh, on the season in this game. Uh, and really, you know, the last two games, you know, the Ravens ran the ball. That's really no surprise, kind of deceptive there with Lamar Jackson. But it is a little bit concerning that the Colts gave up, what, 164 rushing yards last week to the Rams. And I think, you know, primarily that is due to DeForest Buckner being on a pitch count. He only played 20 snaps last week. You know, can the Colts, who have been deceptive or susceptible, I should say, against the run, the last two games, you know, I think they're giving up 175 yards on average the last two on the ground. Can they put that all together against one of the best rushing attacks and maybe the best rusher in the NFL and Derrick Henry? Um, so those are the storylines I'm following this game. There's a million of them, but uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor's return's a big one. But everything else in terms of just mentality and you know the magnitude of this game, what it means kind of psychologically, I think is is really big early in the season going into this matchup. Matt Taylor is our guest, voice of the Colts, brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, you mentioned the struggles against the run the last couple of games. How much of Sunday's ability to limit Derrick Henry from a schematic standpoint is impacted by DeForest Buckner potentially being on a pitch count again, if that was to happen? And where are we in terms of his health progress? I know this is always a, a tough stretch of the week where it's Thursday and we're still waiting for those final practice reports, but from what you've seen and heard, where are we on that front as well? Well, you know, he's 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 standing, you know, upright. He's he's up and erect, if you will, in the locker room. He's moving around pretty good today when he spoke to the media. Uh, but you're right. I mean, if, if the Colts would have practice yesterday, he would not have practice. We'll see what he what he does today. Um, but it, it's it's got to be something pretty 
pretty significant, you know, to, to limit uh, DeForest Buckner in the way that he was last Sunday. Like I said, he only played like 20 snaps, 24% of the snaps for the game. And he was only out there like on key third down situations, on passing downs. And so, you know, for, for a guy like him that played through so much, you know, injury related last year, you know what he's dealing with right now has got to be pretty painful. Um, I just think bigger picture, though, you look at the Titans and you look at their splits so far. I mean, they really are an enigma. I mean, they're playing good at home. They're not playing well at all on the road. I mean, their splits are just enormous in terms of, you know, bottom line, when when they're playing well, they look good. When they're, when they're playing bad, they look awful. You know, they got beat 27-3 two weeks ago. They came back last week and won 27-3. And I just think this team is, is so much different when it gets off to a good start, right? When they can dictate things to their opponent and when they play from advantage, when they get ahead on the scoreboard, when they're able to run the ball, when they can afford to give John or uh, make that Derrick Henry, you know, 20, 25 carries per game. Uh, you know, the Colts historically have done a good job against the run, but Derrick Henry is kind of that one outlier. He hasn't had, you know, monster games against the Colts, but I just call it like that cumulative effect kind of takes hold when uh, Derrick Henry plays the Colts. I mean, he's got six uh, 100-yard rushing games against Indianapolis uh, since 2018. Uh, you know, the Colts as a defense have only given up nine 100-yard rushers in that time, and Henry's got, you know, whatever the math is on that. He's got a bunch of them. So it's really, really imperative that the Colts get off to a good start in this game, make Ryan Tannehill more of a focal point than he wants to be, you know, more than that, that offense wants him to be. I'm not saying he can't lead a comeback or shoulder you know, 40 attempts in the game, but their identity is controlling uh, the line of scrimmage, playing from advantage, and letting Derrick Henry just grind you down and, you know, hopefully for their sake, ripping off, you know, a 50 or 60-yard touchdown run that kind of breaks your sword or, you know, provides the dagger in the fourth quarter. That's what the Colts are trying to avoid. For the most part, they've done well historically against Henry in that regard, but you just can't play from behind on this team and expect to – you know, kind of dictate the game and then flip the, the tone of the game against the Titans. Matt, when we talked to Blaine Bishop uh, just about an hour ago, who of course played for the Titans and does their radio stuff, he was talking about how one of the question marks for Tennessee is the offensive line. For Indianapolis on the offensive line, and it's funny to say this in just the second year, so tip of the cap to it, Bernard Ryman is an important you know anchor on that, obviously just by position and because he has played well once he yeah. kind of got footing there in the second half of last year. But now we know, of course, the protocol. Where do things stand with Bernard Ryman? Yeah, like I said, he didn't practice yesterday, and you know if they would have practiced, he would not have participated. Um, he's still in the concussion protocol, according to Shane Steichen. Um, and he really hasn't done anything um, practice-related or game-related since last Thursday when these symptoms crept up on him. So today is going to be really, really big. You know, the Colts are actually practicing right now indoors as we speak. Um, that's that's going to be something to monitor. Same thing with Ryan Kelly, who continues to progress in the right direction. You know, yesterday he would have been full in practice. Uh, you know, barring another setback, you think he's trending in the right direction to play, at least you get that anchor of your your offensive line back. But you know, I thought I thought Blake Freeland on on Sunday against the Rams. You know, he gave up one sack. The Colts were uh, mindful of of you know his situation, his first start. Uh, you know, going up against Aaron Donald, I thought they did a good job late in the game to kind of focus some of the protection um, towards him. You know, kind of help and, and chip. Um, but I thought all things considered, he played a really good game, and he might be thrusted back into duty again this Sunday. But you're right. Uh, you know, Bar- Bernard Ryman, in, in short order, has, uh, you know, kind of, you know, shot up the, the, the rankings of most indispensable Colts because of the position that he plays. But I just think how, how good he's been and the improvement that he has shown quickly from year one to year number two at left tackle. Matt, I don't know if you heard, uh, Jonathan Taylor spoke earlier today. Um, and is back in the mix with things. And as you mentioned, walked through yesterday, practiced today. Maybe it's unfair to ask, because I don't know that any of us know this, but I will give you the same question that Eddie and Jimmy and I were discussing yesterday. If you had to forecast it, is Jonathan Taylor active on Sunday? Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question right now for, for the entire city as we wait and watch and see how this thing, uh, this thing progresses. I mean – 
I don't know if he's going to play. I know that he probably wants to. I think the Colts would like for him to because of, you know, if he's healthy, which that he, you know, he, he says that he is, he proclaims that he's in a good spot physically coming off of PUP. Um, he's the type of player that I think, you know, if he, he, he certainly has put his nose in the playbook all spring. He was around the team during training camp, during the install of the offense. So I don't think there's going to be a huge, you know, mental learning curve for him. So that being said, if he's physically ready to go and you mentally trust where he's at, let's let's go. That that would be my mindset, anyways. If I'm the head coach, when I everybody knows that I am not, but uh, I I would I would have no reservations putting him out there if if he's healthy, which you know everybody has said that he is now coming off these four weeks of pup. Um, I just think he's the type of player that let's just kind of grip it and rip it because you know the type of player he is. You know the history with him. I mean, the crazy thing is you look at his historical context, he's got like I think like 106 carries for his career over 10 yards, which is like 17%. 17% of his overall career carries are explosive runs over 10 yards. I mean, you would love to have that back into this offense to complement uh, Anthony Richardson. You know, you, you certainly don't take anything away from Zach Moss and his contributions, but you put Taylor in that rare air. You know, he's just in a different bucket. He's just a different guy uh, because of everything he can do physically. And you know, if he if he can turn a, a 15 yard gain into a 50 yard, you know, explosive run down inside the red zone or into the end zone, you want a guy you know in that offense uh, with you on Sunday. So. To me, I, I just keep it real simple. If he's healthy and ready to go and you trust where he's at mentally, um, there's no reason why I, I wouldn't put him out there and I wouldn't give him maybe an above-average workload, if you will, right out of the gate and in his first game in 2023. And, Matt, I don't know Jonathan Taylor. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going over to his house and vice versa, but from the ex- exposure I've had to him in press conferences, watching him play, seeing how he handles things – Seems like a really good guy. I mean, I know that people can get upset because of contractual things and all of that. You know, guys are going to do what they think is in the best interest for themselves, their family, their security. I I understand all of that. But I'm curious from your standpoint as somebody who has been around him a lot, did his aura change at all today? Did he seem like a guy that had his tail between his legs? Because I do think that this has been a learning lesson for him. Um you know, a, a learning process just about negotiations and handling them and things like that. Um, did he in any way, shape, or form seem to be different than last time he spoke? Well, I'll, I'll, I will be honest with you. I, I didn't have a chance to go to the press conference. I was in the locker room doing some other uh, other interviews. But I did go back and I, I did listen to it. You know, so I didn't have – I wasn't there physically, you know, to see his body language or to see his facial expressions. Uh, I just listened to to the to the answers from the press conference, and listen. Th- there is no doubt that you know he has been through a lot, and the Colts with with him in this relationship, they've been through a lot really since you know May and, and the OTAs. Um, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Jake. Like I I didn't see. Maybe I'm naive. I didn't I didn't see. You know when 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 the Colts broke for the summer break, if you will, after the mini camp, I, I didn't think we were going to get here. Um, and so, but in saying that, though, I mean, every player, and Shaq Leonard talked about this today, I mean, every player has to separate the, 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 the business from just being a good teammate. And through all of this, you talk to all the guys in the locker room, you know, they, they routinely have said that he's still a great guy, a great human being, he's a great teammate. And we just have to respect the fact that he is doing what he thinks is best for him and his career. And, you know, because everybody knows the NFL stands for not for long. And Jonathan Taylor could go out this Sunday and, you know, knock on wood, he could just, you know, have a really bad injury. And and that would be that. Every player faces, you know, that possibility and that reality. And every player goes through free agency and contract disputes and, uh, relationships with the team through their agents or relationship, r- relationships directly with general managers and, and things like that. So I know he's requested a trade, and I know the Colts kind of let him sniff around a little bit. Nothing happened there. 
and now he's back with the team, and I think he's in a good, you know, mental headspace. Uh, to to me, I, I don't have enough, you know, mental capacity to to worry about uh, a whole lot other than if I'm a player and I'm under contract, it's time to play, and I think that's where Jonathan Taylor is at too. It's like, all right, you know, we we did this whole song and dance in the off season. Um, you know, I, I've aired my grievances. The Colts have, uh, you know, aired where their stance is at. And now it's time to play because I have to play, right? If I'm speaking on behalf of Jonathan Taylor, my mindset's probably, you know, I've got to play to to get to un, you know unrestricted free agency next off season. Um, I'm still gonna you know bust my tail. I'm gonna do everything I can for this team the rest of the year. We'll see what happens next off season in terms of the financials and the contract and stuff like that. But if I'm Jonathan Taylor now, after all of the um, you know off the field stuff that that happened in uh, you know August and, and September, now it's time to play and now it's time to put my best foot forward for this team that I'm on right now, and we'll worry about everything else. Yeah, you know, I mean, come January fifth, Matt, he's got to know it's a it's he's got to know that it would be a win-win. I mean, if he comes in to use a player's term, if he comes and balls out, if he puts up huge numbers and they win games as a result of that, that helps the Colts. But, hell, it helps Jonathan Taylor, right? Because if he is ever going to go into free agency, he's got to be able – you know, this is his audition all over again, crazy as that sounds, right? Absolutely. And I think to a degree this is kind of what Chris Ballard was uh, alluding to and referring to at the end of last year. You know, like we won four games last year, and we went on a tailspin to close out the year. We lost seven games, and you know we, we fell – so short of expectations in 2022 let's just hit the reset button and before you know we I mean not that you don't want to reward Jonathan Taylor for the player that he is and what he did in 2021 but I just think like culturally and from an organization standpoint like you're still under contract let, let, let's let's ride this thing out and let's get back on track in terms of winning and building this culture and getting back on track inside the AFC South before we do anything before we have to. And I, I don't know where Jonathan Taylor is on, on that stance, and maybe he got, you know, a little bit missed by that. I'm, I'm sure that he did. I mean, I haven't talked to him about it, and today he didn't want to go into that. But I, I think, you know, this, this you know these next whatever amount of games represent just that. Like, this is another audition to, 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 to show just how dynamic you are, how special you can be, and what you can add to our offense with a great, young, marvelous young quarterback and Anthony Richardson, you know, if you prove to us that, you know, you're worth this extension that you want or, or whatever, um, you know, let, just, just show us that you with, with Anthony Richardson can be incredibly special. But for the time being, let's just go out there and prove it and, and let's, let's prove to each other just how badly, you know, we, we need one another going forward. And then we'll go back to the negotiating table you know, this upcoming winter. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor is our guest, presented by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, you mentioned this a little bit ago, but I was with you in that I didn't think we'd ever get here with Jonathan Taylor on a podium, speaking to the media and talking about how he was ready to get out there and play throughout this process, regardless of whether or not he plays this Sunday, next Sunday, whenever. For me, that was something I needed to see. I think Colts fans also needed to see it. Not necessarily an Instagram live or something that, that was just under his control. Him actually going up to the podium as players do, addressing the situation even though he dodged a little bit here and there, but making sentiment known that I need to play and I'm excited to be back out there. Am I reading too much into that from the fans' perspective or was that something that, that needed to happen on this climb to get back to being a part of the Colts? No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think you're off base right there because, again, regardless of everything that has happened since May forward, uh, with the contract talks and 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 you know going on pup to start training camp, all of that stuff that has happened off the field, Jonathan Taylor still loves football, and I know to a degree that being away from his teammates and not being in training camp and and not going through preseason games. Like I do know Jonathan Taylor somewhat to a, to a, to a decent degree, and I, I I can on good authority tell you that it, that's not what he wanted to do in in terms of being away from the game for that long. So today and well yesterday and then today, getting back on the practice field, actually going through a practice for the first time, 
I think today does represent kind of a, a safe haven for him because at the end of the day, he is a football player, and he is damn good at, at playing this game. And he is a special, special guy. And so, you know, to, to be in front of his locker and to lace up the cleats and put on the shoulder pads today, that's going to feel good for him. You know, regardless of all the stuff that happened off the field and who you think is right and who you think is wrong, it really doesn't matter because Jonathan Taylor is back on the field for the first time since December 17th of 2022. There's been a lot of stuff that has happened within this franchise since then. Um, so I think it, today's kind of just like a safe space for him to go out and, and play football and just do what got him here in the first place, and that's just use his special talents to the best of his ability. You know, Matt, one guy that I think we, we should give a huge kudos to, and, I, and I, I think you'll agree with me here, when a guy – and this is not meant as a slide at Jonathan Taylor or like some sort of an antithesis, you know, alternate viewpoint type thing, you know, contrasting against Jonathan Taylor. But all you can ask from a player, regardless of position, all you can ask for a player is that they do everything they can to get themselves ready when their number is called and that when their number is called, they execute what's asked of them to the best of their ability – and I'll tell you what, man, Zach Moss has done both those things. I mean, to not only come back from the injury that he suffered, but then when his number has been called to play and play really, really hard. I remember, I'm old enough to remember back when the Colts had Dickerson and Albert mm-hmm. Bentley, and you know the old line was keep the Rolls Royce in the garage and just start the Bentley. And, and I don't think we're there with this, but my point being, I've got to tip my cap to the professionalism of Zach Moss. Now, you're around him more than I am, but I just thought the guy has played really well at the time that was a difficult situation to walk into. Yeah, no, that's well said. Couldn't agree more. I think there's a lot of guys like that within this locker room. But, yeah, to to your point, he – whatever you needed from him, he was going to give it to you. And it was just a really, you know, a bad thing, a shame for him that, you know, the the first day of of full pads in training camp, he breaks his forearm – which kind of sets him back, but he's been, I think he ranks sixth in the NFL and rushing since the end of last year, like week 15 on, you know, that game I was telling you about, about Jonathan Taylor going out against the Vikings since that game, Zach Moss has been one of the best running backs in the NFL and he ranks really high in rushing and he, and he missed a game, right? He didn't play game one against the Jaguars still rehabbing, coming back from that broken arm in, in training camp. Um, so it's just remarkable you know, answering the bell and just the durability. That's that's what's most impressive about Zach Moss. I mean, he's got – I don't know what the carry number is off the top of my head, but he's played in like 84% of the snaps the last three games and you know, he's coming off that career-high 30-carry game for a buck 22 against the Ravens. And you're right, going forward, you know, whatever we'll, – we'll see what it means on Sunday, right? If Jonathan Taylor is active, if he's not active, uh, if he plays and he's got like a little bit of a – a niche role, just given the circumstances. I mean, I think I think Zach Moss is ready for, you know, Jonathan Taylor to have five carries or twenty-five carries, and whatever that means for Zach Moss, he's ready to roll. He's just going to run very, very hard. He's going to be a downhill guy. He's that one cut back between the tackles. He's that perfect back to kind of keep you on schedule down and distance wise. And he's going to average over four yards per carry. He's going to get you into second and six. Um, I'm just really, really impressed with Zach Moss. He's a really, really good player. He's a great guy, um, and he just takes good care of his body, just like Jonathan Taylor. But um, he's going to be prepared and ready to go to answer the bell on whatever his role is now going forward, given the fact that Taylor can come off of this PUP uh, window or come, come off of PUP and then be activated as early as this weekend. Matt, finally... You'd be a good person to ask this trivia question towards because you and I ha- have discussed before. I-, I think we had similar upbringings in terms of what led to our passion for like radio and sports in general, right? And oh, yeah. um, and we also have at times we have noticed that there's parallel thought in terms of players or, or franchises that we admire or like. So uh, I'm assuming because you you know I mean have a job and and other things that would keep you busy that you have not been able to listen to the program today. Um, I am wearing an NFL hat, and it is not a hat of the Indianapolis Colts, which people might find to be, I don't know, a violation since I'm doing a show in Indianapolis. But this hat that I'm wearing is a logo of an NFL team, and I'm wearing it 
I've always kind of liked this team almost entirely because when I was a kid, I loved their color scheme and their logo. And this hat is kind of the throwback color scheme and logo of this NFC team. Now, I want you to go to eight-year-old Matt Taylor, the hat that you would wear that would be that, that fits the team that you were like, you just loved their helmets when you were a kid, would be who? <laughs> can I guess the hat you're wearing? Yes. Well, First, you can tell me, you can guess my hat and then tell me which hat you would wear that would fall under the same yeah. category. All right. Uh, I think that you are wearing today a Detroit Lions hat. Okay. I have a Detroit Lions hat, and oh, you know, no. you know, they redid their logo because the lion—they uh, call him Bubbles because they said it looked like it was a lion that was trying to bat bubbles <laughs> with his paws. So they made him more fierce, and now he looks more like a griffin. But I have a Lions hat that I bought when I got laid off from a radio job in the same year they were winless because I figured I had the same year that they had. So, <laughs> but it's not that hat. Which so so the, the second part of it would be which hat would you have that falls in this category? Um, you know, I guess I guess my my second favorite team growing up or the team that might fit into that category would be I don't even know, gosh. Like your I mean, eight year old Matt Taylor sitting in his rug well, and he's I got his little tape recorder and he's and the, the NFL like the, the helmets are up on and the little poster you got from the <laughs> the book fair and you're like, yeah. I like that logo. Okay, if we're, if we're just going off of logos, all right, if we're just going off of logos, it's probably the Packers, the Chiefs, and I, I've always liked the Bengals. I, the, the Bengals helmet, like the, the Bengal Tiger helmet, has always kind of spoken to me. Okay, I that's cool. That, no, I can that, deal with that. that that's classic. I, I, like, I like classic uniforms, you know, like things that are unchanged because they're already perfect. Matt. Like the Packers uniform – the Colts uniform, the Chiefs uniform. I'm also a big fan of contrast. You know, so like a, a team at home wears, like, and, and, you know, Jimmy knows this, at home the Chiefs wear red and uh, white pants. Yep. I'm a, I, I would love to see, you know, selfishly, I think it's a classic look, but I, I personally would love to see the Colts wear blue pants on the road. I think that would look awesome. Um, but, uh, no, I, 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 I didn't follow a ton of teams because you've you got to talk about – when I was ten years old, that was like Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean, you had the Colts. Back. I did not. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. So I, 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 I've always been kind of attracted to logos instead of like teams outside of Indianapolis. Okay, so the answer is, by the way, I'm wearing like the. I mean, obviously, the hat is not from 1983, but the color and logo of the Kurt with a C, Kurt Warner, Jim Zorn, Steve Largent, Seattle Seahawks. All right. Okay. The royal yeah. blue with the blue and emerald green Seahawks. Matt, I told him earlier when I ever I play Madden, if I remember the Seahawks, I like to mess with the uniforms. That's the helmet decal <laughs> that I go with is the hat that he's wearing. It's very, very nice. I like it. I like it. What what's the worst what's the worst classic logo? Okay. Like the the, Great the logo that was ditched and ditched for a good reason that should never come back. Oh so oh okay. Jersey or you're saying logo specifically? Yeah. Because there are a couple, again, I think we always favor, do we not like nostalgia, right? I mean, yeah. and yeah. I said yesterday, Matt, when it comes to, especially in baseball, to your point, the teams that change logos and color schemes every year, it's because they suck. They got no, they oh, got yeah. no tradition to, to sell, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So they're just constantly like, ah, hey, here we are, we're new. And well, the New York Yankees don't have to change. The Cubs right. don't have to change. And the Cubs suck, but uh, okay. <laughs> the... Okay, a couple of them here. I can never recall which Jets logo they're currently going with. <laughs> same. And the same – I didn't necessarily ever like the Giants that had the Giants in the bulk letters streaking across a la the Sam White IU teams. I, oh, you like the, like the italicized Giants in the underline? Yeah, that was to me that was bland, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of teams that have changed and, and had one that they never went back to. I don't mind Either as one. much on the field, Matt, but my nomination would probably be Brownie the Elf on the helmet, I would say, for the Browns. Yeah. Yeah. Brownie or like that cool. giant, yeah, or that creepy thing in the middle of the field that's like 40 <laughs> yards wide. That, yeah, that's, that's terrifying. That's Brownie, Brownie the Elf. The Elf right? Yeah. Now, here's the yeah. Carolina, I'll tell you this the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots, when I say new logos, I mean, you know, 20 year old logos, they look yeah. to me like USFL stickers that are on the side of a helmet. I agree with that. Uh, not now, a fan go, of either logo. 
can I go off? Uh, can I go outside of NFL and say, remember like the uh, late '90s, early 2000s Detroit Pistons oh, logo? Dude, the, the, that was the, awful. Matt, the NBA went through this era of purgatory where everybody was putting <laughs> teal in anything, and it was awful, right? <laughs> yeah, this, remember the Spurs had a bunch of teal. They did. The Grizzlies did that for a while, and I yep, think they got away yep. from you know. Now they're like blue. Yeah, it was awful. Teal was the the rate, and and the Raptors. The Raptors, I think, went with like purple and teal. I mean, what are we doing, right? <laughs> Just awful. Yep. It's like it's Timothy like the, Leary was like designing the, teams. It's like the Miller Light can. You know, like they went back to it as a throwback and then they just left it alone because everybody loved it so much. Totally. You know? Yeah. It's, now, it's, it's, it's been unchanged for a decade. Now, here's a better question. Are there any current logos in the NFL that are better than its predecessor? Some would mm. say the Broncos. I kind of liked the D with the with the horse on it. I thought that was yeah, cool. Yeah, jumping through the middle of the D. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Uh Man, I wish I had the logos in front of me. I mean, the like dolphins. The, I'm not. A, the dolphins have like the little swimming dolphin, that, and and I think most people favor the jumping through the hoop dolphin with the little helmet on. Yeah, see, the dolphins. It's like it's different, but the same. I, I can't really. I mean, I could probably tell if they were like side by side, but to me, it's just like the same thing, just a little bit subtly different, I suppose. Now, have you noticed I, this, Matt? The Florida Lee got smaller. Have you noticed on the Saints? It's smaller uh, no, today than it was no. like 25 years ago. It used to be huge right. on the side of the helmet. Now it's smaller. Okay. All but right. A, but a cool logo. <laughs> I hey. think San, San, the, the, the S and the F in San Francisco, that's timeless. Let me tell you, you the, Niners have, the Niners uniforms are sweet, man, right? I mean, yeah. I'm not a fan, oh, yeah. but they're sweet. Yep. Great no color doubt. scheme. And you know, lastly, to put a bow tie on all this, or somebody mentioned the other day, you're just putting a bow on it, not a bow tie. Okay. To put a bow on all this um, – <laughs> I thought personally, when the team was announced as a new franchise, I thought the Houston Texans, from a color scheme and logo standpoint, absolutely knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yep. Totally cool. Now, the other side of that would be Jacksonville when they decided to do that half gold, half black helmet that looked like a Jaguar threw up on it. That sucked. Yep. And I will give give credit to Tennessee, too. They have kind of... They've revamped their color scheme in in the last couple of years to kind of go with like a dark navy blue helmet um, and yeah. kind of embrace embrace like a, a grayish tone in their jerseys because they were just kind of like that Carolina blue for a while uh, and that that really didn't do anything for me in terms of uh, kind of you know putting the putting the fear of God in, in, in a football team with their color scheme. I, I think they're they're much better uh, you know aesthetically looking now uniform wise. I think we should do, Matt, you and I should just do a podcast where we do nothing for the entertainment of ourselves of talking about every logo of every team in professional sports. That You know what, given, given the last couple of months with uh, you know the, the topic of conversation we got done talking about, I'm, I'm all for that, where I can shut my brain off for a little That's bit right. you know. and just go where I want to go. Love it. Hey, appreciate yep. it, Matt. We'll be listening to the game coming up on Sunday. One o'clock kick, of course, at Lucas Oil Stadium between the Colts and the Titans. Appreciate it. All right, guys. I appreciate you. Have a good week. All right, Matt Taylor, again, uh, the voice of the Colts there on the hotline.